Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are coming to you from our elaborate studio on our sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, the hottest city in the world. And I ask you, where do you find yourself when you have those conversations, those mastermind conversations that transform your life, where you have those aha moments, those moments of inspiration that give you that slight edge that help you serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Are you at a coffee shop? Are you at a cigar shop? Are you at the networking function before the seminar? In an outdoor cafe, at the park, driving, sitting on your balcony, sitting in your living room. These are the places we take you as you journey with me on my laptop lifestyle. And we discover what moves you toward your intersection of your brilliance and your passion here on the Business Creators Radio Show. And today, we are going to have a conversation with somebody that's going to take a form of being a combination of a case study and sort of an entrepreneurial memoir. And I'm really excited about this is it's a format we don't really get to do very often. And when we do, I get real excited about it. So our title is The Roadmap to Success. And we are going to be speaking with Bew White. Bew is an entrepreneur, author, and founder and CEO of Summer Classics, which is a premier manufacturer of modern outdoor furniture created for, or excuse me, crafted for a lifetime of live, livable luxury. Now, Bew's got quite a story, and we're going to let him tell you all about it in just a second here. In fact, when I read over this, I'm not sure I'm worried, not worthy to be here, and this is my show. So, with no further ado, Bew White, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, good to be here. Thank you, Adam. I, I think you might this uh, the MBA in mistakes. Uh huh. I, I constantly make mistakes and then pivot and figure out what to do next. Fail early, fail often is what I say. Yeah, so let's you. yeah. So let's see what you have to say. Normally, what we do here is I read off the official bio and then. The next step is I turn it over to you as our esteemed guest. Tell us a bit in your own words, something about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, I got out of college uh, in 1972 and joined my great-grandfather's company that was a Fortune 500 company at the time in, in textiles, thinking uh-huh. possibly I might you know, have a shot. I'm the first one in the fourth generation to come in at becoming president at some point. And then three of my cousins came in after me and I went, man, this could be, you know, this is possibly going to be a bloodbath and I don't want to get in a fight with my cousins. And I was calling on entrepreneurs. I was in New York City calling on entrepreneurs, you know, guys that were buying and reselling fabric. 
And I took one to lunch one day and I said, hey, you might, he had like three or four employees. I was like, you mind telling me how much you make? How much do you pay yourself? And he did. And he, he paid himself more than the president of the company was making. I said, you know, maybe maybe having my own company would be a better solution and I can see if I can do it, you know? So that sent me off in a totally different direction. And I went from failure to failure, trying to figure out what to do correctly. Eventually, I figured it out, it took a long time. Eventually through uh, really what I would, my son calls grit is, you know, getting into difficult situations and then getting, you know, trying to figure out how to get out. And uh, I got to where I am now, which is, you know, Summer Classics is probably the luxury brand. I'm I sound egotistical probably, but it's probably the luxury brand in the outdoor furniture business. And uh, uh, the price points are getting, I kind of call it Louis Vuitton now, like <laughs> Louis Vuitton, because these prices are like crazy because, you know, inflation, you know, you read inflation is like five or 6%, and but ours is like 35%. So it's not, it's definitely not what's happening uh in our business anywhere. Right. I'm seeing a lot of that where people are asking, how is inflation only 7.9% or 8.9% or what have you, where my supply costs have gone up by 30% or my gas costs has gone up by 30%. It's just, you're not sure where they come up with some of the numbers behind all this. And, you know, it's like anything, no matter what area you live in, there are always going to be problems. And as somebody said to me a long time ago, you have a choice. You're always going to have problems. Would you rather have no money problems or would you have money problems? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to have a problem regardless. You're right. Yeah. Now, in our green room conversation before we went live here, you mentioned a few things and I'd like to share those with the class now. So I'm going to sort of go down a list of a few things I jotted down. And you were telling me just very briefly that something, uh, something about how your father was an inspiration to you. And in our show, we sometimes get into the family dynamic and how it impacts entrepreneurial success. So tell us about him and what role he played. Well, he was an, he was an attorney, but he was on, on the board of four Fortune 500 companies. Okay. And kind of surprised when I decided to go off on my own. I thought he would really, you know, go, don't do that. You're crazy. But instead, he helped me find something to buy. It turned out to be a disaster, but I got it, you know, eyes wide open. So, uh, and it, it was my first uh, huge mistake I made, but he he helped guide me to buy something. It really is what got me in the furniture business. So, you know, looking back on it, it was a great thing. And then he, I was, uh, I was, I, he was on the board of Southern Airways and they were merging with uh, North Central. And he came to me, I was, I was 28, you know, something like that. He said, you're really good. Come up with an idea for the new name of the new airline. I was like, okay. So I worked on it and I even did a logo and I had this company Vista Airlines, which means looking over the next horizon, I was going, right. this is Delta. You can use this. And, and then he comes back from the board man, like, what did they say? What did they do? Well, they decided to call it Republic Airlines. I went, ugh. So I, I said, can I have it? And then I named my first company, Vista Corporation. I left the company that I had bought part of that was in the furniture business nine months after I got there because it was it was a disaster. I was like, man, I'm, 
I have learned a huge lesson. And then I started selling furniture uh, all over the Southeast and realized that I, the, the whole company was dependent on whatever I did. I was like, I've got to do something that's so not so dependent on me selling something to get paid a commission on. I've got to start a company. So I started about five or 10 different companies in glass and wicker and capiche shell and leather and I was just and lamps. <laughs> wow. Just something to, I was like, I got to get something I can make a living off of because this isn't going to work, but I'm doing this really hard. And even, I was making great money, but I was like, I got to, I got to start something that, you know, supersedes me that goes on after I'm gone or I, my children can make a living like my, my guy did off my, great grandparents right 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 so it seems to me with all these businesses you got involved in you ended up kind of dancing around <laughs> where you ultimately have ended up which uh which is the summer classic business yes i the, the weird thing about that is i should have done i started i was selling outdoor furniture that was the main thing i was selling and so when I started an outdoor furniture company, because I didn't like what I was selling and I didn't like anything my competition made. And I was like, you know, I wonder if people would like what I like. I'm a baby right. boomer. Thus, I designed something, had it made, gave it you know, the Summer Classics name. And then it was incredibly successful. I could not supply enough product. I was like, and then one day I go in my office and the, the receptionist says, Hey, Mr. White, I answer the phone of uh, Vista Corporation, but every time I do, they say, is this summer classics? So I said, okay, when you go back to your desk, answer the phone summer classics. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out of all this other stuff I've started and concentrate on this. And, it, and I was like, it, it kind of makes sense because that's what I, that's the business I knew. Eventually I had to start designing product. I thought other people would like and using my taste level to say, okay, I wouldn't buy this myself, but I think it's great looking and people will buy it. And that's been eventually that's really that's what we are now because it outgrew my personal taste for my own. You know, just I, I had to quit thinking about what I would buy for myself and kind of reach out there and do some unique product. Yeah, that's the thing that I like to share with folks is in reality regardless of what industry you're in with the product or the services, there's not a whole lot new under the sun. And to me, one of the key differentiators that's moved me ahead, and I've seen help so many others, is themselves, their own personality, and how their market relates to the brand that they create. And when I look at the summer classic brand. When I look at your book cover, when I look at your website, there's just a certain, and for lack of a better word, folksy aspect to it that's going to draw me in or not. Yeah, I'd rather use the word sophisticated, but <laughs> well, here's here's what I, here's what here's what I mean by that. I see powerful pastel colors and i know that pastel colors are not often powerful but in this case yes i see big open windows and the sun shining through and as you look out the windows lush green grassy yards i don't know why this vision comes to me 
but that's immediately what I think of. Yeah, there's new, you know, something that's going on in the architectural business right now is that these uh, glass and metal windows have become really with black um, metal frames. Have yeah. gotten and then the white uh, houses um, have, you know, so you have these white houses and these black uh, windows. It really, it's a great trend that's going on. It's more of a modern trend, but it's, it, I think it's something that's really going to catch on. So we use a lot of photography from those houses that we shoot, and it's made a it's made a big difference in the way the product looks, and it fits in that genre really well. But I think really what's it's, it's differentiation is what's made it work for us. And then the thing that happened is the outdoor intersected with the indoor and they started doing what we call outdoor rooms. And that's made a huge difference in our business as people are using our sofa, you know, more sofas outside. And now they have fabrics and we've developed a product that um, it's called the dream cushion that doesn't absorb moisture. So you can leave it outside made a, made a huge difference to our uh, our business and also this this made a foam because foam absorbs moisture but if you could put a barrier between the foam and the fabric then you can uh, you can leave it outside and it repels the water so it made it's made a huge difference in the way the product sits and looks everything about it is it's more like taking your indoor furniture and putting it outside you know wow that is something <laughs> And on a more, more colloquial basis, I've noticed that more and more people I know leave couches out on their back porches. Yeah, you can. I mean, we have an upholstery company too. We have an indoor furniture company called Gabby, and they make they they had such supply problems they've quit had to drop this product. But we were making like pressure treated pine frames and then covering them with fabric to look just like your. Uh, indoor furniture and then you could take the slip cover off and wash it so it's it's like a completely different type of product right 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 so here's another thing and this is again this is one of those memoir type interviews and i really love doing these every so often i've said myself that and it's happened to me and it's happened to so many folks i know going back to that old meme that once you turn 40 some ailments will be randomly assigned to you. Just wait for it. Now, I don't know exactly when this happened, but in your book, you've mentioned your struggle with having blood clots in your lungs. And what what has that done for you, so to speak? Yeah. Well, it almost killed me is what it's Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, so I, I, I went to Asia a lot. I was going to Asia three times a year and uh, 1.4 times a year. And so when you're in the in, in the tube, as they say, for that length of time, the, the compression, may, you really need to get up and walk around, but just tend not to. So you're, and I have really low blood pressure and uh, my blood, you know, my, this is probably for people that don't think about this kind of stuff, that my, my heart rate is like 50, 45, somewhere around there, a real, real low, you know, pulse. And so uh, I developed blood clots, and and at one point, hey, this is interesting. So I meet with my son, and I'm I've been having dreams for a year that I'm going to die. And I'm like, I, I, I meet with him and I say, I'm CEO, he's president. I'm like, going, you you need to get ready because I really think I'm going to die. He's like, you're crazy. And I was like, yeah, I know you think that, but 
after you have a dream every night, you're going to die. You kind of start to believe it. So the next day I'm in the hot, I go to Atlanta and I'm like, I'm, there's something terribly wrong with me. And I go into the emergency room at Piedmont Hospital. And sure enough, I got blood clots all in my legs and in my lungs. And the next day, I mean, they, in, they put me in the hospital and put me on a real heavy dose blood thinner. I have a blood clot go through and hit my heart and my heart stops. Wow. I thought heartburn, you know, I was like, whoa, I have got something huh. terrible with me. I'm pushing the button for the nurse to show up. That doesn't call. I text my wife. She's down getting a cup of coffee in the cafeteria. I'm like, I help. I think this is it. And then the nurse finally comes on. like, I'm going to die. You get a signal to your brain. You're going to die. It's just, it is so clear. It's like, it's like a hundred percent. You're going to die. You've got a few minutes. Say whatever you're going to say, cause you're dead. And so I get the nurse comes on. I'm like, I, I'm, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to die. And it's not going to be, it's going to be quick. It's, I've got a few minutes here. Yeah. They come running in the room and they, my wife comes in and she can see I'm turning white. I can, I'm not pumping blood up into my brain. My, I'm going white from, you know, top to bottom. And so they push me down the bed and start filling me full of dopamine and salt water. And they're saying, take him to ICU, take him to ICU, you know, intensive care. And I'm going like, and I'm calculating in my brain where the elevator is. I'm going like, guys, we're not going to make it to the elevator. I'm dead. And you're thinking, and you know, you think, uh, you, everybody wants to kind of know what you're thinking. I, this is what I was thinking, is that that was what life was like. And boy, was that short. And infinity seems like a really long time. And, you know, whether you believe in God or heaven or hell, that's, that's a really long time if the rest of the, you know, forever and ever is coming up. So I came back. I came back and I like started crying uncontrollably. I'm like going, what has happened to me? I should be, I'm supposed to be dead. Am I going to die now? Am I, what, now I know what it feels like to die. Am I going to feel that again? Help. I don't know what to do. I, and so I got this signal that said, you need to finish that book you're working on. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm, I'm going to say that came from God saying, write the book, write the book. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I started working on the book and trying to get, you know, I didn't, didn't like what I had written. So I started working on authors and I finally found somebody to write it. But, but I think it's, hopefully it'll mean a lot to the people that read it. It has, a lot about marriage in there because I always say amazing wife, amazing life. And of course that works in reverse, you know, bad wife, bad life. But in all relationships, it's the same. You know, the better your relationships are with anybody, uh, is it's going to improve your life. So that's, that's kind of what it's about that. You'll, you'll, there's a chapter in there about the great recession where I owe Royal Bank of Scotland $20 million. And um, they're putting pressure on me because in the fourth quarter of 2008, they lost $60 billion, the largest loss in corporate history. So the only place they can get money is to go back to their clients and start squeezing them and getting them to move their lines. And of course, it's very difficult to move your line. I'm like, I cannot figure out what to do. I don't know what to yeah. do. And so 
I'm praying and I can't sleep at night. I'm like, finally, I start calling my suppliers and going like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm at my wits end. And my biggest supplier in Asia said, well, just don't pay me. I was like, like ever? And he's like, no. I mean, just ride your payables. I'll, I'll keep shipping you. I believe in you. We're symbiotic. I need you. You need me. And then pay me as you can. And I was like, awesome. So I started calling my other suppliers and I had the same kind of response. And I got this. The first guy gave me $2 million with credit line. Next guy gave me a million. Then I started calling my domestic suppliers. My large fabric supplier gave me a half a million for 180 days. And then you, if you call us, if it gets worse than that, you know, if you can't pay it, we'll, we'll work with you. I started calling my suppliers. So I paid down the line. Plus, this was no interest. So I played down my line with uh, Royal Bank of Scotland from 20 million to 2.8 million in nine months. And so I was like, wow, this is incredible. I think I'm going to get through this. And I switched banks in 2010. It did take a long time to, to change banks because the banking system was kind of frozen until the until November of 2009 and it started unfreezing. And we found banks that were interested in dealing with us again. Had the same exact thing happen. My real estate line was with a bank uh, in Georgia that was under duress. And I had to move all my real estate lines. I had five, you know, over a million dollar real estate lines that I had to move. Unfortunately, I had a bank say, we're interested. We'll, as they come due, we'll take them. So that was a godsend. And it was a new bank. They just formed. They just started in 2008. So uh, what, you sure you can take all this? It's, 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 you know, for a new bank, there's a lot of debt. No, we're in. So, uh, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like God gave me the wisdom to get through that incredibly difficult situation that I couldn't have figured out. I couldn't figure out on my own. Yeah. Well, uh, we so, now we, so now we know. <laughs> I, I, I think we all leave a mile of footage on our cutting room floor. Yeah. It doesn't make it into the official bio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot more in that book. Things that happen like that, like when I was was getting started, my big customers, it's funny because the dealer base, which is our big client base now, is the dealer base. That's other stores that buy our products and resell it. Our big customers back then were Crate and Barrel, Williams-Sonoma, Smith and Hawk and Front Gate, you know, these big, big guys. Master retailers is what I say. And William Sonoma had started a company called Gardener's Eden. And I, yeah. I, I was relatively new in the business and I had started uh, painted. I, this has to do with us, me telling you about, you know, we, I was making product I liked for myself and I was making wooden furniture. And I'd gotten so big, I'd moved down to Chile because NAFTA. A lot of people don't realize this, but NAFTA was signed first with Chile, and then it went to Mexico and, and USA. Yeah, so I actually knew that, but go ahead. Yeah, as a lot of people don't know, but some people do. Anyway, uh, they were coming to markets, and I was meeting them. I was like, no, I need, I need to do something in Chile. So I started doing this furniture down there, and the, the orders were so big. I said, well, I'm, I was painting everything in the United States into sure quality and make sure the finish was right and had the product going out. I could see it, the finished product, before it went out. 
So I said, I'll get them to paint it, to paint it for me, to put the last couple of coats on. Well, they switched the paint to save money from what I specified. And, it's, and it peeled when it got in the rain. And so I had to recall all the product from Williams-Sonoma and put it in my warehouse. Well, I couldn't put it in my warehouse. I was, I had, my warehouse was brimming because we were growing so fast. I rented 10 container trucks. You know, you can rent those containers like you put on overseas shipments for like 100 bucks a month back then. Good for, I think they're 200 bucks a month now. But um, so I rented 10 containers. I was like, what am I going to do with this stuff? It's, it's funny. Uh, this is kind of what got me in the retail business. I finally decided the only way I was going to sell it for any decent price is to sell it myself to consumers. So I ran an ad and I could only open on the weekend because we manufactured during the week and nobody, this is pre-internet. Uh, so you didn't have MapQuest or anything like that. So you couldn't find. So I had to put a map in the newspaper and I spent 10 grand on, on a, the ad. And I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm toast because I don't have 10 grand to pay the say pay for the ad, you know. Right, I, right. All my money invested in all this product. And if I, it doesn't sell, I don't know what I'm going to do. I get to the factory that Saturday morning and there's so many people lying in the streets. I'm like, going, okay, well, they're going to come look anyway. I hope they like it. And then I sold like 50K that weekend. And I was like, okay, payroll. You know? Okay, so. And then that got me in the idea of like, man, I sold more in a weekend than I've sold the entire life of the company in Birmingham, Alabama. So I'll, I'll see if I, I can sell some. I'll do that again and see if it works. And I did it. I kept doing it. And I was like, you know, I just need to open a retail store here. And that's that got me into retail, which is really what brand it gave me the brand, you know, that I built. We built, I should say. Well, uh that is, I, I got to say, I don't have an immediate response to any of the specific points, but I love just how many obstacles and how many challenges you were able to either scale or simply find your way around. Yeah, you know, the banking thing, I was, I, I, uh, with my... I kept going to my wife going, this is crazy. I paid myself $41,000 a year for 10 years. Right. I'm, and I was making a quarter of a million dollars when I was a sales rep. This is like crazy. And she would go, no, I believe in you. You can do it. And, and eventually, what's cool about having a business and hitting the tipping point is the flip. The flip from, I never lost money, but I was like making, you know, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Not me personally, but the company was. And I had to put everything back in the company every year. And even when you're making a million a year when you're growing really fast, it's not a lot of money. And the company desperately needs it to buy inventory and increase receivables. Yeah. And and add more space, all the things that you have to do to grow. And then at some point it tips and it gets you the order activity gets incredibly bigger people know the brand and the volume goes up and your profitability changes completely and then you can grow like we'll grow over 50 million somewhere between 50 and 60 million this year and that's i mean we couldn't do that in the old days that was impossible uh -huh. but it's uh it's it's amazing when you, and i wanted to give up you know, all those times I, now that I look back on, I was like, man, thank God I didn't give up because 
this is pretty meaningful. This is going to be a really meaningful business for my and for my grandkids' grandkids, you know, someday. Uh-huh. Well, I I got to say it's a very impressive thing, and you know, I have some of my own stories. They don't quite rise to the Hollywood quality level that you share. I mean, we could make several movies out of what you just uh, delivered to us. But yeah, there was that time that I smashed my printer into a thousand pieces because it ran out of bank. And there's a reason why I did that. And uh, <laughs> there's uh, and there and there and there are reasons why I say that when you fly close to the sun, sometimes you'll get burned. Yeah. I also say I also say for a reason that when you see the cloud having a silver lining, invest in the silver because it's a precious metal. Yep. I've got a lot of silver. (laughs) (laughs) I like silver. I I always said, you know, this is totally off the cuff. Uh, If if the dollar, you know, there's a little trick I do. Like I have a hundred dollar bill and a one dollar bill. Right. And I say, what is the difference between these two? Uh, I, I, you know what? I'm rather than speculate on it. I'm just going to let you tell us. It, it, there is no difference. It's a piece of paper. They're the same size. They have the same type print on them. It's just that, but you believe one is worth a hundred because it says that, and one is a dollar. And once you don't believe that, there's a huge problem. And that's where silver, or I, I said silver rather than gold, comes in because you're not going to, I mean, what are you going to do, bite it to see, <laughs> see what it, is this real uh, gold? Because gold is, you know, it's, what is it, $1,900 an ounce now? I was like, mm-hmm. you're not going to pay somebody $1,900 for a piece of gold unless you're 100% sure it's real. But a piece of silver is worth about $25 for an ounce. And so that's a whole different. I think if we if it came to that, hopefully I'll never come to that, but if it came to that, you could use silver as a denominator for something that you could use for for, for exchanging proxy and stuff for instead of money, you'd actually use silver dollars. There's a great book called A Land Remembered. It's about a guy that moved, this is off the subject too. It's about a guy that moved down to uh, Florida, mid to Southern Florida, and uh, right after the Civil War, right at the end of the Civil War. And he, there's, you know, there's nothing down, there's no roads, there's no nothing down there. And he starts collecting cow. There's cows running around all the place because they're mating and he's gathering them up and selling them. And he sells them for gold because there's no money back then. And he puts all this gold in his basement and he ends up buying land because land's going for 15 cents an acre. And he ends up with hundreds of thousands of acres. It's an incredible story about this man and his family. Anyway, that's off the subject. But it made me think, wow, back then they, they were just using gold. That's the only thing they could use to exchange for stuff. You know? Hopefully it doesn't go back to that. Well... <laughs> And a lot of the stories you hear, you read uh, the alternative histories, the alternative future predictions, the post-apocalyptic stories, you hear this common theme of paper money 
ultimately becoming kindling to start the fire that you're going to cook your can of beans over. Yeah. And people going back to gold and silver. Yeah, or something. I don't know what it is. I don't feel like it's crypto, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. I like John Paulson's description of crypto. It's a short supply of nothing, is what he's I'm like. Mm, that's pretty interesting. You know who John Paulson is? He's, he's the guy that kind of, uh, of course, figured out the market on not the John Paulson that was in politics, but the John Paulson that figured out how the, the trade on the real estate market back in 2007 and eight and made like $3 billion or something. The greatest trade ever, supposedly. Wow. Well, yeah, uh, let's see. So we're uh, pretty close to the, t- the top of the hour here, actually. So we have just a few more minutes, but I do have a couple additional questions for you here is, first of all, where do you see this going next? You've gone through a storybook of both triumph and struggle to get to where you are today. You've built this fantastic business since you started your entrepreneurial journey when you were just 28 years old. So what's next for you? What's next for you? Well, um, as far as business goes, um, I had always said, and, I, and even when we were $2 million, I would stand up at our yearly dinner and go, you know, this is a $500 million idea. We just haven't executed it yet. And now that we've gotten to the size we are, I think people finally realize that yeah, you know what this is, and that was that was just summer classics. Gabby, the indoor furniture line, is is growing way faster than summer classics is now. Of course, it's smaller, but it's probably going to be bigger than summer classics. So the it's it's pretty incredible what is going to happen. I think over the next ten to twenty years here, but I'm more interested in you know helping people like your listeners, uh, you know get understand how business works. I think that anybody, you know, one of the things I had to learn the hard way was to, to read a financial statement. I was like, there's a huge problem for me because I'm a sales guy, right? So I was like, if I don't figure out how to read these financial statements, I'm going to go out of business. I got to figure this out. So I think yeah. learning to read a financial statement is a critical part of any business venture. So that, and it's tough if you're not used to, if you're not an accounting guy. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and I guess my final question would be is, in your view, what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's just starting out, whether it's their career, whether it's their first entrepreneurial venture, whether it's just deciding that they're going to initiate on something new? Well, a couple of things. One, one is, don't try to be an entrepreneur if you don't have the traits. And there's, you know who Gino Whitman is, this EOS uh, that a lot of businesses use, this entrepreneurial operating system. He, he wrote a book called Entrepreneurial Fleet, and he goes through the six traits of an entrepreneur and their visionary, you know, being able to see something in the future. I think that was what really helped me is being able to see the future of the business I was in already and then uh, being driven the big one is risk taker. Risk taker. A lot of people just don't have that. I mean, you know, like I was saying, I had, I had to also put up my house every year and put it in, 
put that money inside the company to keep going for like 10 years. A lot of people yeah. would just be willing to do that. And then um, problem solver. And uh, I think that's, those are the main traits that, that you've got to have all that passionate, you know, passionate driven problem solver, risk taker, visionary. You've got to have all those, all those traits and, and obviously be responsible. That's another one. Yeah. Integrity is critical. I think, you know, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation. It just takes a moment to lose it. Warren Buffett says that a lot. I think it's really, you know, the, the whole thing with Will Smith at the Academy Awards, that's a perfect example of having a great reputation and losing it almost immediately. A, a friend of mine that read my book for Audible was, he's in the Academy and he was just appalled. He's just like, I didn't realize the effect it would have on the actors, but he was just like, I can't believe they allowed that to happen. You know, the people in the, in the room, this, they could have fixed that. That didn't need to happen. They could have at least not shown it, you know, but that's, that's just one example. There's lots of examples like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to make sure that, uh, everybody is aware of where to locate you. And one of the places is, of course, at www.buwhite.com. That's spelled B-E-W-W-H-I-T-E.com. And when you go to that address, you can discover more about the book, A Summer Classic. And I loved what they said about it in the Detroit Free Press. This book will both inspire you and inform you of the many challenges faced by one man and how he went over about overcoming these obstacles on his road to success. Essential reading for any aspiring entrepreneur. And you can find it on many common online retailers. And you can also discover so much more about Bu as well as the Summer Classics line by visiting www.buwhite.com. And with that, Bu, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, an education. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.